Um, hey, if I haven't met you before, my name is Phil. I'm the vicar here. Uh, it's great to see you all tonight. Um, and well done for making it here through the cold. Uh, is everyone warm enough? Just about. Okay, well, let me give you a question to think about as we start off tonight, because uh, we're going to be kicking into the book of James, uh, as we have been doing for a little while now. But a little question. Has anyone ever been surprised to discover that you are a Christian? And how did, that, how did that make you feel? And were they surprised because of some crazy misconception of Christians that they had? And so actually secretly you felt a little bit proud that you'd kind of smashed the stereotype. Or, on reflection, were you just acting in a way that in truth was kind of unchristian? That, that didn't really glorify God. You know, if I am honest, there are plenty of times when, when both of those things apply to me. You know, in fact, I quite like the fact, actually, that a lot of people think, oh, you're, you, there's no way you're a vicar, you don't look like a vicar. You know, well, it's either that, they say, or they say, hang on, you just look, you look like Jesus. So I, can, I quite like that one. But no, but if I'm honest, I know that there are plenty of times when both of those reasons apply to me, and I'll reflect on my behavior, things I've said, the things that I've thought, and think, what on earth are you doing, Phil? Why did you just do that? Why did you say that? You know, even as a, as, a, as a mature Christian, even as a church leader, you know, I am so acutely aware of, of both the rescue that I have received, but also the rescue that I need. And I am so grateful that Jesus is here, that he is alive today, and that he is leading me forward, that he's empowering me to choose the right path and enabling me to live in a way that shows that the love that I have for him actually means something. You know, I'm so grateful that the rescue is real. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. You know, we've been spending the last uh, eight weeks going through a series in the book of James. If you're uh, new tonight and you've just turned up, this is the last part, okay? <laughs> so you've come at a good uh, moment. No, it's, it's absolutely fine because we've got a really good bit to look at uh, tonight. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to wrap up uh, James. And uh, we've basically been, been hearing from, uh, from James about what a rescued life should look like. And as we know, James is the kind of ever practical half-brother of Jesus, pillar of the early church, a guy that we should totally uh, be listening to. And primarily, James wants us to know that our faith should impact everything in our lives. You know, it should change our very being. James wants to say, who and how are you going to be? Uh, and right at the start in, uh, in chapter 1, he kind of, uh, kind of summarizes this challenge by his statement, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only. James is clear that our faith should necessarily make a real difference to our every day. 
We talk an awful lot, don't we, about God's grace and God's love, how amazing Jesus is to us. And, and it's good that we do talk about that because it is amazing and it's important that we understand that. But James is the guy sitting somewhere at the back going, well, hang on a minute, so what? What does that actually mean? How does that impact me? James is a man who wants to know what the action points are. How does this faith get to work? How does faith work? And James has been telling us that if Jesus has saved us, then uh, it really should uh, affect how we think. It should affect how we feel. It should affect how we make decisions. It should affect how we choose to give ourselves away, how we care and love for those around us. It should affect the way that we have compassion for the poor, for the vulnerable, for people uh, around us that need us. And James is really big on the way that we speak. He, he's really big on our words. You know, James is really clear that actually in the things that we say, well, they both create and, and they can curse. Our words matter because quite literally our words create culture. And ultimately words matter because they reveal what's going on inside of our hearts. James is clear that we should be a distinctive people, different to the world around us, full of practical wisdom, of, uh, of godly desires. Men and women who are quick to actively respond to the urgent call to make disciples of Jesus. Men and women who are going to persist, going to be steadfast, who are going to endure. Hey, who was here last week for Sean? Sean spoke to us about Endure. How amazing was Sean last week? Yeah, it was brilliant. Sean, if you, if you, if you missed last week, get on the podcast, sps.church forward slash podcast. Listen, it was incredible. Paul kind of unpacked uh, this, this, this piece of James 5 that talks all about perseverance and, uh, and endurance and revealed that the key that James gives us to persist, which is, which is quite simply prayer. You know, we are called to be a people active in prayer who choose to make time to be with our God, to speak to him, to listen to him and to put his words into action. But we need to be clear that what James isn't doing is uh, just kind of giving us a, a tick list of stuff to do. You know, James isn't just giving us a list of things to do so that we can be good. That's not what's going on here. It goes so much deeper than that. You know, James isn't just trying to help us to be good. He's helped us to try and find life, to really come alive. Because, you know, Jesus didn't die in order to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people alive. He lived and he died to pay the price for our selfishness and all the ways that we mess stuff up so that we might know life in all of its fullness for eternity. And that's why James begins in chapter one uh, by saying, well, look, the man who remains steadfast will receive the crown of 
life. And then he closes at the end of chapter 5 by saying, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. You see, the way that our faith works is a matter of life and death. And I don't know how you are feeling tonight. Whether you're sitting here full of life, full of faith, or whether you just feel a little bit like death, warmed up. Perhaps not even warmed up that much. Perhaps you feel a little bit concerned that you're not being all that God has called you to be. You know, perhaps you're feeling a little judged by some of James's harsh, practical wisdom. You know, but tonight I want you to know that the rescue is real. No matter how much or how far or how recently you might have slipped up, stepped out, checked out, Jesus is here. He is alive. He loves you. He wants to rescue you back to life. Hey, if you haven't got there uh, already, why don't you jump into James chapter 5. Sean was great last week, but you know what? He only left me two verses. Yeah, that's what the, these Australi- Australians are great, but man, they just chew through this stuff. Yeah, we've got two verses left. And, and actually, as I was thinking about this, uh, this, this, this talk, I thought, well, hey, we'd, we'd just do a big recap of the whole book. But, you know, I was reading these last two verses of James, uh, and I thought, actually, we, uh, we need to dig in to this. You know, I believe this is what God wants to say to us. So I'm going to read it from the ESV, um, a little bit different from the one uh, in the backs of your chairs, uh, but very similar. James 5, 19 to 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we've been able to learn from James. And as we just spend these moments, Jesus, tonight, uh, wrestling uh, with what it is that you're saying to us, we pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you move uh, among us, inspire us, challenge us, change us, Help us be more like you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So tonight, I I basically want to tell you uh, three things. I want to to warn you that we can all wander. I want to challenge you that we can all watch. We can all watch out, look out for one another. And I want to encourage you that we can all win because the rescue is real. But before I do that, let me tell you a story. Uh, And and before I tell you this story, um, I need to uh, convince you that what I'm going to say 
is, is actually true. This is a true story. This genuinely happened to me. And I've told this story a few times, uh, and every time I tell it, people come up to me and they're like, yeah, that never happened. This totally happened to me. This is a true story, and it happened to me uh, about, about 10 years ago. Um, before I get into it, what you need to understand is a bit of my backstory. Uh, that when I was younger, uh, before I was a vicar, I used to be um, a, uh, kind of a bit of a crazy uh, climber. I was a kayaking instructor. I used to do loads of, basically think Bear grills adventurer right here yeah and then basically what happened was I got married and then decided actually I'd rather just uh, stay home sit on the sofa eat chocolate and you know watch a bit of uh, Netflix with my wife and, and kind of <laughs> and I stopped doing all this adventurous stuff until one time uh, one of my friends called me up and he said hey Phil uh, we're going to the Alps you've got to come with us we're going to the Alps it's going to be me and you uh, and there's another mate of mine and his wife the four of us we're going to go to the Alps we're going to go and bag some peaks and I said yeah I'm coming I said to my wife, Charlotte, I said, I'm going to the Alps. I'm going to go bag some peep, peep, <laughs> going to bag some peaks. And so uh, we jumped in the car and we drove uh, to France. And, uh, and the first day we were there, uh, we knew exactly what we were going to do. We planned it all out and we headed up uh, a mountain. We went past the snow line and uh, we went, so we were, I think we were a couple hundred thousand uh, meters up. I mean, this is some serious climbing. You know, I'm talking ice axes, uh, crampons, and we got to this overnight. Uh, it's it's not a hotel. Basically, like a shed. You know, and the idea is, if you've ever done any winter mountaineering, what you tend to do is you'll you'll go up so high, uh, and then you try and sleep. Uh, you get a few hours sleep uh, uh, over the night, and then you get up super early in the morning uh, when the snow is at its best condition, where it's still hard and it's still firm, and you can go and, you can go and get to the peak of the mountain before uh, the sun uh, is really beaten down and begins to melt uh, the ground beneath your feet. And so we were, we were there sleeping in this shed and uh, kind of had just one big bed that we were sharing with about like six German guys or something. I mean, it's, yeah, it probably didn't smell great in that, in that shed that night, uh, but we got as much sleep as we could, and then we got up super early, and we went for the peak, and we made it. We got to the top of the mountain, and then we were coming down, uh, and we planned this route, uh, and we decided we were going to walk along a glacier. And, uh, and, and this is super cool. We were like, you know, crampons on our feet, which are like the spikes to kind of make sure we didn't slip too much, and we were roped up to each other. Uh, and the crazy thing about glaciers, if any of you have ever done this or seen it on the telly, uh, you get these things called crevasses, which are mad. And they just kind of like, almost like bottomless pits that like go through the glacier. And you don't want to fall down a crevasse. And, and, and they were only little crevasses. And, and we were just kind of having fun. And we were going around them. And then maybe getting a bit brave and stepping over them. Uh, and it was really cool. And the further we went, uh, the, the, kind of, the bigger they kind of got. And, uh, and actually, before long, we realized that the glacier that we were walking on was really not in great condition. Uh, and we began to have to start jumping across uh, crevasses. And so we were roped up to one another, and, and as someone would jump, the other person would stand ready, roped up, uh, just in case they slipped, so you could kind of fall on the snow and get your ice axe in and kind of arrest the person from falling uh, all the way to the bottom of the crevasse. And, uh, and, and this is how we proceeded, until we suddenly hit this crevasse that we couldn't go around, uh, and it was probably maybe from... From, from the stage here to that front row, uh, so it, wasn't, it wasn't super long, but it was too far to really jump. And the only way to get across was to, was to walk along this spindly little ledge that kind of went about halfway 
uh, out into this crevasse and then kind of do a big step, a big jump to the other side. And it was getting pretty hairy. Uh, and I think I went first and I got across and, uh, and then I held onto the rope and my mate came across. Uh, we were kind of working in pairs. Uh, and then uh, this lady who was with us started to go across and her husband was back on the other side uh, holding uh, the rope. And she got halfway across on this spindly little ledge and then she just froze. She absolutely froze and she oh, she can't go any further. And then she just began to cry and she began to get hysterical and she just completely lost it. And we're up there on the side of this glacier, half with her halfway across this massive crevasse, thinking, what on earth are we going to do? Uh, and then we spent uh, what seemed like half an hour, I'm sure it was only minutes, just trying to encourage this lady to come and take this final step, to take this final jump, to make it across the crevasse. Uh, and eventually, and eventually, after suggesting things like, well, maybe we could lower you down and swing you across, eventually, eventually, she, she plucked up the courage and she jumped, uh, and me and my mate were on the side ready to catch her. Uh, she jumped, and, and she landed, and her crampon went into the ground, and then she just kept on going. And we heard this crunch and this scream, and she'd broken the bottom half of her leg. And so there we were on the side of this glacier, about a thousand meters up, with a lady with a broken leg. And the day was ticking along. Thinking, what on earth are we going to do? And uh, we had a mobile phone with us. Uh, and uh, we, we, we called the, the insurance number that we'd been given to, by the mountain people, whatever. And uh, we got the answer phone. Not a good start. Uh, and so then we managed to try and get through to a mountain rescue. Um, and this, sound, this sounds like I'm making this up, but this is what happened, okay? We got through to a mountain rescue, and we were really close to the border of like, Ita uh, Italy and France. And uh, we all kind of knew French, no one knew Italian, but we ended up getting through to the Italian mountain rescue. And, then, and they didn't know French, and so we were trying to communicate with these guys over the phone, and no one really understood what was going on, and we thought, this is not going to work. And at this point, uh, the battery on the phone was bleeding out. It was so cold, and we knew we kind of had like maybe one call left, and we literally got the battery battery out the phone and we were like rubbing it to try and keep the battery warm just to get this last bit of juice uh, out of that battery and we put it uh, back in and, uh, and at this time we'd kind of thought up a plan B and our plan B uh, which, which nearly ended up happening was, uh, was that I was going to stay and uh, try and uh, take care of this lady on the side of the mountain and by this time we'd strapped her leg up against a, an ice axe and uh, and just done everything we could to try and make her comfortable. And then her husband and my mate were going to go off the mountain and try and get down safely uh, to alert help. Um, but, I mean, this, it would have probably taken 10, 11 hours to get off the mountain. Uh, and goodness knows, by the time they got back, we'd have probably both been sitting there with hypothermia. And Anyway, uh, we're, we're, we're thinking, what on earth can we do to make this call? Uh, and, uh, and this guy uh, who was with us said, actually, my brother's in the army. Uh, why don't I call him? He'll know what to do. Uh, and uh, and it, was, it was the most remarkable thing. He got through to his brother, uh, and his brother said, yep, yeah, give, me, give me your coordinates, where are you? Ta -ta -ta. And he said, that's it, 20 minutes and someone will be there. And then literally, 20 minutes, this helicopter came across the top of the mountains, uh, and it came down towards us and hovered just over uh, the top of the glacier. And these two guys just jumped out, 
fully kitted up, and then boom, the helicopter went off again. And then they gathered us together, and they made sure we were all like tied down on the side of the glacier, and then they radioed in to the chopper, and they said, right, we're going to take the lady to hospital. You guys are going to have to walk down. And we went, oh, no, hang, hang on a minute. You know, we're, we're not going to be able to make it off this thing. And so they did some more calling up on their radios, and then they discovered that actually what had happened is that we'd gone off on a glacier that no one was meant to go on, and all the local guides had stopped taking people on this glacier. It was the wrong path, and it was super dangerous. And they said, okay, we're going to pick you up. We'll drop you off just at the end of the glacier, and then you're going to have to make the rest of your way home, but we'll take this lady all the way to hospital. And so that's what happened. Back came the helicopter. We got bundled into the back of the helicopter, and then it took off. Uh, no sides. Far more dangerous sitting in a helicopter with no sides than being on a, on a glacier, I'm sure. Anyway, we got to the end of the glacier, hovered about this high of the floor, and they literally just threw us out. And then, whoom, went off to hospital with this lady, and we had this 10, 11-hour walk back off the mountain. But we all arrived home safely. That's one of my best stories. <laughs> and it's true. And the, but the reason I tell you is that that is a dramatic, epic rescue. I, I get excited when I think about it, even now. That was an incredible rescue. But, you know, it all began because I wandered off down a wrong path. You know, me and my friend, we weren't intentionally trying to be reckless. I mean, you might disagree with that, you know, going up to the outs in the first place. But, you know, we weren't intentionally trying to do something stupid. We had a plan. We'd worked it out. But, you know, we just wandered off the route that we should have gone. And we got ourselves into all sorts of trouble. You know, James, in his letter, is writing to Jewish Christians who are scattered by this time all throughout the world. He's writing to men and women like me and like you, people who are acquainted with God's law, maybe people who had met, chosen to follow Jesus. Uh, yet what he says to them is, if any among you wanders from the truth, Because, you know, we can all wander. The rescue is real, but the rescue is, is a journey. It's not just a one-time thing. You know, choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to say yes to Jesus, is not just about saying a quick prayer, getting your ticket to heaven, and then business as usual. That's not how it works. That's not what this rescue looks like. You know, rather the rescuer, Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and mercy, invites us to come and journey with him. You know, once I'd been taken off, rescued off of this glacier, you know, I, I had a choice whether I was going to stay on the right path to get back to the home camp or whether we were just going to jump back on the glacier and get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. You know, journeying with Jesus requires a change of direction. Saying yes to Jesus isn't, isn't a destination so much as a choice of a path. And it's a path that brings transformation. It brings change to our lives. You know, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, uh, says shall we sin because we are no longer under law but now under grace? By no means. Of course we shouldn't do that. We need to be different Paul says, 
He says to the church in Philippi, work out your salvation. You know, this is what we hear echoed throughout the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, run the race with perseverance. And of course, James, he who perseveres, who is steadfast, will receive the crown of life. We need to keep going. And of course, it's one of the most painful things, isn't it? When we see people who wander. I'm sure all of us know people who have wandered away from the truth. I do. You know, maybe a parent or a child or a friend or a pastor. You know, just like me on the mountain, you know, maybe the original intention wasn't reckless, but somewhere along the lines, kind of challenging circumstances, a poor judgment led to trouble. You know, and that is why James wants to give us this practical wisdom, why he wants us to grasp the fact that our faith needs to be active, to continue to be active. The rescue is real. You have been saved, so don't carelessly or complacently step back off the cliff. No matter how much theology you know or experience you have, we can all wonder. But that's not the end of it. Because we can all watch. We can all watch out for one another, watch over one another, chase after one another. You know, high up there in the Alps on the mountains, I learned a lot. Uh, one of the things I learned was that we had to work as a team. We had to team up. We had to rope up. We had to keep watch over one another, keep an eye on each other's footing, catch each other when we slipped, when we fell, help each other back to our feet. You know, the Christian life is a little bit like climbing a mountain together. It's an analogy that is used throughout Scripture. You know, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, the psalmist says. And it's a picture that we see echoed throughout the Bible. God says, team up, rope up, watch out for one another. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, Someone bring him back. Someone bring him back. You know, the first question uh, that is recorded in the Bible that someone asks of God was a question uh, that was posed with a whole lot of attitude. Quite a lot of sarcasm. I don't know if you can think what it is. The famous question that comes out of the mouth of Cain. Cain had a brother called Abel, and actually we learn in Genesis 4 that Cain killed his brother. And God says to Cain, where is Abel? And after speaking with God, he says, kind of arrogantly, well, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? It's a question that we never really hear God respond to but perhaps one that we see the rest of Scripture unpacking for us, encouraging us, 
to encourage one another, to care for one another, to look out for one another, to be bothered about one another. I went to a, a, a meeting in Westminster a few weeks ago for, uh, for Church of England uh, leaders and Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, was there and uh, they were doing a little interview with him and uh, one of the questions that was asked of him was, um, was well, what's, what's the hardest thing about your job? What's the hardest thing? And he thought for a little while and he said, the hardest thing is witnessing the capacity for hating one another that exists within the church. And we know, we see in the news, Justin Welby has this impossible job of trying to hold together people within the church who, who kind of rally against one another and have so many differing opinions to one another. Uh, and really his, his role is to be a, a person of unity, to try and bring reconciliation. He said it's so hard to see people who should be loving one another, hating one another. You know, maybe you think about yourself, you think, well, actually, I don't, you know, it's not that I'm hating on other people, but, you know, actually, it's so easy, I know, for me just to forget people sometimes, just to forget one another, because we're so wrapped up in our own stuff. You know, or perhaps we don't forget one another, but actually we'd spend our time judging one another. Hey, they're wandering off over there. Hey, hey, they're wandering off over there. You know, telling each other they're wandering off over there rather than going over there and bringing them back. You know, this was the big problem with the Pharisees, wasn't it, that we see in Jesus' time, that they spent their time judging one another, judging people who, who actually probably were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, but rather than the Pharisees teaching and encouraging and pulling back those people that were wandering, they were quite happy just to point the finger. Yeah, Jesus had another brother, as well as James. He had a bunch, actually. He had a brother called Jude, and uh, Jude also has a book in the Bible. I loved, anyone love Jude? Anyone ever read Jude? I think I love Jude partly just because it's short. Yeah? Anyone love short books? Um, Jude's only got one chapter. And in Jude verse 21, it says this. Jude sounds a lot like his brother James. He says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And... Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. You know, I want us to be a church that is known as a church that will chase after the wanderers, who care for the doubters and who snatch people from the fire. A church whose eyes are open and arms are ready because we can all wander, but we can all watch. And we can all win.
You know the best bit about my story, my mountain rescue story, is that we all got home. We all got home. And in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. It says, God our Saviour, God our Saviour, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart, that every one of us would be saved, that not a single one would be lost. Know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. You know, scholars think that James here is, uh, is referring to a famous proverb, uh, Proverbs uh, 10, which says, Love covers all offences. Love covers all offences. You know, we can all win because the rescue is real. And you know what? The good news, the gospel is bigger than your mistakes. Bigger than my mistakes. The gospel is big enough to reach out and save all who wander. Jesus came and lived and died to save sinners, to save each and every one of us, to rescue us back to life. And then Jesus himself was raised back to life. And he sent his spirit to be here with us, to empower us, to enable us to choose the right path, to live in the way that we were designed to live. Jesus has done everything that is required, everything that is required in order for us to be the people that we were created and designed to be. But we can all wonder. But we can all watch. But you know, the best bit is we can all win. Should we stand? I'd love to pray for us. You know, it's been so exciting going through this book, going through James. I'd encourage you, read it again and again and again. There's so much in here. So much practical wisdom about the people that we should be. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable us to be just that. The people that you have designed and called us to be. Thank you, Jesus, that you are big enough to deal with our mistakes. Big enough to deal with the mistakes of those around us. Big enough to enable all of us to be saved. And Jesus, we cry out today for our friends, for our family, for those who we know have wandered from the truth. Jesus, we pray, would you come and would you reveal yourself to them? Uh, but Jesus, we don't just pray that. Lord, we ask that you would use us, use each one of us to be a part of the solution. 
Lord, help us to be those people who are prepared to pay for the things that we pray. Lord, help us to put our own selves on the line, to to make ourselves uncomfortable in order to chase after the wanderers, to watch out for one another. Because Jesus, we want to win. We all want to be with you in the end. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill us afresh? Would you empower us? Would you allow all that we've been looking at over this past nine weeks to sink into our hearts? May we be different and distinctive. May we be the people that you have called us to be for your glory. And would you help us to be steadfast, to watch our footing, to choose our paths wisely. May we go on giving glory to your name throughout all of our life. May we receive your crown of life, the prize at the end of it all. We love you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord.